this is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Oh, I like the I like the tone adjustment on that. That was good. A new year and a, a new banter, banter. I like this. Well, you know, don't expect it to stick around. Oh, damn it. Uh, hey, my name's Rob Minot. Uh, That's true. Join, joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. It's Friday. And uh, hey, it's Mr. Steve Barkley. That's also me on a Friday. Man, new year. It is a new year. It's a blank slate, guys. We can do anything we want. Can we? No. Oh. Just kidding. JK, JK. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Uh, you know, we do have some things that we're rolling out this this coming year. So I'm excited. Well, Ryan, you just like tickling the audience with a I do. Got to keep them keep them interested. That is true. That is true. Um, are you, have you guys all recovered from uh, the anniversary show? We had an anniversary show? <laughs> <laughs> if only it had been one of those types of anniversary shows, which if for the audience, we have had one of those audience, those uh, anniversary shows where I'm sure Ryan didn't remember it. Oh, I remember it. Oh. Very vividly. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure if I quizzed you and asked you what what questions did we ask Sam when we interviewed him, I don't I don't know that you would know that. Wait, what questions did we ask who? Sam, exactly. You was he know. on that show? He was on. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. You can bet that if a show is going to get canceled and never released, Shan was on it. <laughs> hey, Shan. Uh, morning, Shan. Uh, I know have 99% of our audience are going, who the hell is Shan? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's part of the mystery of the show. <laughs> Hashtag, who is Shan? <laughs> See, man, we're just desperate. We want to get, one of these days, we're going to get a hashtag campaign going, and uh, it's going to be great. I like the idea of a hashtag who is Shan. That, that's fun. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe next week we'll see it trending. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Uh, what uh, What are we doing today? Today we are speaking with accessibility advocate Samantha Evans and independent accessibility consultant Nick Steenhout about web overlays. Uh, yes, it's going to be one of them learning episodes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I know enough to be dangerous about uh, accessible web overlays, but uh, not nearly enough. And as we all know, uh, there's uh, there's been one in particular that's been in, well, it hasn't really been in the news. I, I feel like it hasn't been in the news, the mainstream news in terms of the downside of it, but it's certainly been in the news in terms of the upside for it, which is, uh, of course, accessibility. Yeah, it's definitely been in the accessibility news streams, but yeah, not the mainstream news. Well, but it, but 
it, I mean, I know the community has been kind of right. up in arms about its limitations and the problems with it, but I don't know, have any actual news agencies, have you, have you seen any, any sort of the pushback on any, on any news sites about it, or is it really just community driven? From what I've heard and seen on Twitter and other social media streams, it seems like it's more the community that is, yeah. you know, screaming from the rooftops. Yeah, that's the sense that I got too. Because I think, in in terms of the mainstream media, I think they think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, which is, I think, a real testament to the marketing department at Accessibility. But yeah, well, they've got twenty eight million dollars to play with. <laughs> if I had twenty eight. $28 million to play with, I would have a jello pool. Oh, good idea. Right? Yeah. Different flavors every week. Uh, I would have a hot chocolate tub. <laughs> I don't know about that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you could, build, you could build it in so that it would be hygienic, maybe. <laughs> have to get some scientists working on that. <laughs> Nanotechnology. It solves everything. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, this is great. Uh, I'm looking forward to that discussion a little later. Um, anything happening over at Canadian Assistive Technology that you guys want to talk about? Hmm. No. Okay. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> Hey, listen. No, there hasn't there hasn't been a lot of new stuff coming out. I mean, the, this whole COVID thing has slowed down the manufacturers like crazy. They, yeah. they can't get components, and you know, the stuff is just trickling out their doors right now. So, uh, I, I don't see any of them releasing anything new at a time like this. Uh, other than Humanware, you know, they they put out their their brilliant uh, uh, 40x, but uh, I don't know. even those are the you know they're they're in short supply too. So. Well, Hims has the new Braille Sense 6 coming out very shortly as well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We actually got our invitation to send our demo in to get upgraded. Um, of course, our demo is out getting tested by uh, NNELS for uh, uh, interfacing with their library stuff. So, hmm. uh, but it'll get there eventually and we will have our shiny new Braille Sense 6 available for folks to play with. Yay. Well, I don't know. Like, it's going to be interesting to see when things start to return to normal in the sense of manufacturing and production um you know when some of these supply lines that have been so um interrupted for so long starts to to improve um what just what that's going to mean in terms of of new generations of of devices that have maybe just been sort of sitting in, in a holding pattern for the past year yeah we'll see we'll see you know the the fact that you know a lot of companies do their do their manufacturing or at least have major components manufactured in uh, places like China and India, where you know like India in particular is just getting killed. But, mm -hmm. but uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna take a while to settle down there. You know you got to vaccinate what three hundred million people in India or something. No, it's more than that. It's it's like a billion people. It's crazy. Yeah, you know it's, it's mind boggling the the logistics to do that. You know, what I, what I, I'm always sort of, I try to remember is that, you know, even though we feel like, oh, you know what, the light is at the end of the tunnel for this whole COVID thing. We've got a lot of people vaccinated and, you know, I, I, I got my vaccination and it's feeling like things can start to return to normal. 
uh, we're unique in the world. There's a lot of other countries out there that don't ha have the vaccine rollouts that that we do. And so you got to remember that in terms of the world, like there's still we still have a lot of work to do. Yes, indeed. So, you, we, you know, things aren't going to just spring back into normal into normalcy um, for a while, not certainly not until we get um, the, you know, the large percentage of the world's population vaccinated, which could certainly take years. Mm -hmm. Hey, you always want to talk. Hey, let's you know what, before we before we dive into accessibility, because I have a feeling that as interesting as it's going to be, it might be a little bit of a downer. Uh, let's talk about something fun and cool. What's like that? what? Uh, well, did you guys hear the news that uh, the Barbie company, well, I guess it's Mattel, uh, has made a Helen Keller Barbie? I saw that. I, I, I heard rumors to this effect. So apparently since 2018, Mattel has been, has been producing this series of Barbie dolls called Inspiring Women. And uh, it's featured, you know, everybody from Rosa Parks to Susan B. Anthony, Sally Ride, of course, who was the first woman in space. Uh, and the latest one is Helen Keller. Of course, awesome. That, who doesn't know who Helen Keller is? Um, although, you know, it's interesting. We're, uh, Ryan and I read this book, uh, The Power of Disability, and one of the, the stories in it was about Helen Keller. And man, I had no idea of what kind of an advocate she was and how like instrumental in a lot of different things other than just, you know, being deaf blind and being an advocate. Like she was part of the women's suffrage movement. She was uh, an early advocate for, for birth control. Um, she, she was really big into socialism. She was is social justice. Like she's really amazing woman. I think it's about time she got her own Barbie doll. Absolutely. And it's cute. I, I'm looking at the picture here. You know, she's got uh, she's got a book that uh, is, well, the title on the book is just Braille. And then there's some Braille characters on the book. I'm not sure. My Braille's a bit rusty because I've only gotten A to J so far in my learning hut Braille. But so I don't even know what two letters. Or I think it might be three letters. It looks like it's three letters. Okay, wait here. a second. Okay. Wait a second. Back, back the Braille train up. Yeah. Didn't you start learning Braille last year? No, this was a no. This was a 2021 goal. This is my re New Year's resolution for 2021 was to learn Braille. So I'm working on it. The year's only half over. Give me some. Give me time. A to J. Well, it's quarter th a third of the alphabet. <laughs> All right. I haven't done it well. I've I've been distracted. <laughs> I try it with hot chocolate tubs. <laughs> Very, the R and D department over here is is in <laughs> uh, No, and actually, you know the the packaging of the the Barbie doll too has Braille on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, very cool. I just, I thought this is this is very cool. Awesome. So no, uh, she doesn't seem to come with a Ferrari or, or a a house or anything. So just she just gets the Braille book. So literacy is important. The, the only Barbie that comes with its own driver. <laughs> Wait, was that like a really technical Braille joke? 
like a braille driver you mean for like a braille device is that no oh, okay i my mind went completely sideways uh, i'm not that sophisticated <sighs> yeah well so that's very cool so uh yeah everybody run out and get their helen keller barbie can have all kinds of fun adventures with malibu barbie <laughs> go out for a night on the town together ken could be sighted guide <laughs> that's right can be a thruple. A thruple. <laughs> There's a throng of people waiting for the release of the next episode of Mosin at Large. I thought we'd talk to some of them and ask them why. Mosin at Large keeps me informed about technology. Yeah, but like it also like talks about all kinds of things, but from a blindness perspective. The interviews are well done and really interesting. I love that people contribute from all over the world and everyone has a chance to be heard. I don't always agree with everything he says to be sure, but fair play. He makes me think. I must say, sometimes he really makes me laugh. Having a place that's about our issues is so important and refreshing. Join me, Jonathan Mosen, and our audience who contributes from all around the world for Mosen at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. You can listen live on Mushroom FM, YouTube, Facebook or Clubhouse or follow Mosen at Large in your podcast app of choice. Please note, no real humans were bothered during the recording of this promo. Mosen at Large Podcast. Gentlemen, joining us today for this very interesting topic are Samantha Evans, who is an accessibility advocate. Hello, everyone. And we have Nicholas Steenhout, and I hope I pronounced that properly. Close enough. Close enough. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad to join you. So why don't we start out? And maybe you could just describe for, for the audience who, who may not be aware, just what we're talking about when we, when we are talking about an accessibility overlay. So accessibility overlays or plugins are generally described as a one line of code, uh, type in this one line of code and it inserts a menu with preferences and um, alleged to solve all the accessibility issues and make a website WCAG compliant or ADA compliant in the States or ACA or, or AODA and, um, and claims to do all of this with no effort needed and as a way to uh, remove concerns of litigation or falling afoul of, of legal requirements However, it's really not possible for one line of code to do all of that work. So <laughs> um, it's, uh, that's a bit of a, a challenge for what they purport to do. Uh, they're sold as kind of a, a magic elixir to solve all the accessibility woes um, when oftentimes sites could address some simple solutions and uh, maybe some technical code ad adaptation, but I'll let Nick speak to the technical side. Yeah, happy to talk to the technical side, but I'd like to say that Sam was very kind and polite because when I think accessibility <laughs> overlay, I actually think snake oil. I think bunch of people that are trying to pull the wool over our heads. I think people that are abusing the fears of people with disability, the fears of uh, business owners and abusing people with disabilities. Uh, I am actually... Uh, quite strongly opinionated about it. Um, <laughs> from a technical perspective, they're they're trying to 
to provide magic solutions. Uh, as Sam was pointing out, you know, it's insert one line of code and then it uses some AI and it uses some JavaScript to rewrite some stuff. But um, bottom line is these solutions rarely actually do the things they claim to do. Uh, in fact, if you read the terms and conditions closely, uh, you'll note that they're basically saying our product cannot make your site accessible unless your site is accessible to start with. Um, yeah. So I really invite everyone that considers buying such thing to read the fine print. Um, yeah, this is Sam. Those deceptive marketing practices, along with it, it, they're monetizing fear of disabled people in many cases, and so that's that's rather distasteful. Well, yeah. they they do a really good job at it though, because if you look at the stats, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of litigation suits against businesses in the U.S. alone every mm. year they really are able to leverage that. And uh, some companies, and I'm thinking about one in particular, and, and too bad if they're not liking it, but I'm going to name Accessibility specifically, um, they were able to get a lot of venture capital, uh, millions and millions and millions of venture capital. And part of their strength is marketing and PR and spin. So unfortunately, if they, they put all that money and effort into actually solving problems that that would be great but they don't and um as you said you know there's what there's two and a half thousand lawsuits uh, for accessibility on average yearly in the last four or five years in the states so it's it's big um but if we're going to talk lawsuit we should also mention that it is now mentioned in uh in lawsuits that accessibility cannot be used as a remediation tool or even further they're they're naming accessibility as as plaintiff as defendants uh, sorry in in the cases so um you know yeah accessibility lawsuit is a thing to be concerned about but ultimately if we're talking about accessibility and making sure that websites work for people uh, with disabilities uh, one one line one button click solution is typically not an answer. And accessibility is just kind of like one of many that have you know been garnering the attention of the you know assistive or accessibility community. So do we know how many others are actually out there? I can think of probably a dozen off the top of my head, but every time I turn around there's more. Mm. And also what happens is there's people reselling uh, top tier um, overlay providers. So you may find a new one and realize, oh, actually it's uh, uh, accessibility or maybe it's audio eye or maybe it's something else. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot of them and a lot of the new ones happen to be resellers. So it becomes a bit of a multi-level marketing scheme as well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in, in looking at accessibility, Pretty closely. Um, I mean, what I would say is what they are very good at is they are very good at marketing. Mm. Uh, you look at their site and, you know, and it looks like they have attracted some fairly big clients. They have. Uh, which is a little bit concerning because these are these are big players um, and it, it, it's no small deal that uh, that they've attracted them and they've they've bought into the, this idea. 
From from my perspective as a independent accessibility consultant, I've worked with Fortune 500 companies, uh, fairly large organizations, you know, airlines, financial people, healthcare providers. Um, what I think is appealing to these kind of organizations is this thing that accessibility is expensive. And while those of us on this call know that accessibility is only expensive when you're not building accessibly from the start, remediation is what's expensive. Uh, it, it remains true that a remediation exercise co can cost half a million dollars when you're talking about a white label product that is right. sold to large healthcare organizations in the States. So when we're starting to get someone who's very good at spin and PR, who has very deep pockets for, for organizing sales, when they come in and they say, hey, I can solve your accessibility problems for maybe $10,000 a year, or maybe even less than that, it does become very appealing. The, the CEO, the even the CTO that don't actually understand what accessibility means, when they see this, they can go, hey, that's gonna really solve our problem and save us a whole bunch of money and it'll be a lot faster. I've had stakeholders tell me, we chose this overlay solution because uh, doing it properly uh, would take six months, whereas we can do it in a week and we're under the gun here. We, we need to get this fixed. So it, it's I can see the appeal for, for stakeholders, but I, I think they need a lot more education. Well, and I think that that's, that's been the case for a long time. The, the term accessibility to a lot of people, it, it's, it's vague. They don't, even if they have a, fun, a rudimentary understanding of what it means, it's still, it's very hard for them to take that and then implement that into their, their own digital space, whether that's a website or... Hmm. It's an app. So I, I, I agree with you 100%. It, I'm sure it is very appealing as a, as a, as a business owner to, to just be like, yeah, like these guys are saying that they can make us accessible with one line of code. It'll take an afternoon for our, for our guy to insert it into the website. And away we go. We're, we're completely safe and we're bulletproof in terms of any sort of a lawsuit. Um, except they're not. <laughs> except they're not. That's, that's exactly it. Um, and accessibility, you know, accessibility in particular, you're, again, that fine print sort of protects them from, from you know, any sort of legal recourse because, uh, you know, because they're smart about it. But let me pose this to you guys, though. Is, is the notion of an accessible overlay at its root a bad idea? Like if it, if it was implemented right and it could work as it's supposed to, could that be a, a positive for it? Oy, oy, oy. There's, <laughs> there's so many problems with that concept. Um, I'm going to start by saying what's good about accessibility overlays. Uh, five, oh, six years ago, I worked for a company that actually provided overlays as part of the overall service. So the, the difference of what we were doing then was that we were able to go in and prepare an overlay. So basically some JavaScript that would insert 
accessibility fixes within a page. And this is different from um, Accessibility or over, uh, Audio Eye or other current um, overlay providers because the current one provide a toolbar to improve things. And that's not what we were doing. We were really going in and surgically fixing the things that we identified so we could insert uh, whether it was area attributes to make things better or we could change color contrast on the fly. And this was a great quick fix as a temporary solution while the actual proper work of doing the remediation was ongoing. So from that perspective, an accessibility overlay is good. The downside from a technical perspective is um, the moment anything changes on the page, uh, you just broken your overlay. So if, if, for example, you change a class name across the whole site, well, the overlay doesn't work any longer. So it's it's a very fragile solution. That's why it needs to be temporary. Uh, the overlays, as they are implemented now, are um, first they don't work. If you try uh, as a sighted user, if you try to get to the accessibility menu using only the keyboard, you actually can't. So there you go. You just cut out uh, sighted keyboard users. If you're using it as a screen reader user, so yeah, you can actually bring up a list of interactive element and get to it and, and maybe mess around and, and figure it out. But the, the very concept is, is broken. Uh, one of the features of these overlays include the ability of uh, making this, the, the font bigger for folks with low vision. This completely negates the idea that someone who has low vision will need a large font on every side they go. They will actually need it on the operating system to be able to function. So when you get to the site that has the overlay, um, that often will conflict with the uh, with the assistive technology that's needed by the user. I, I assume at least a couple of people on this call are screen reader users. Uh, I don't know what your experience of accessibility is, but uh, when I've done testing, mind you, I'm a sighted user, so I don't use a screen reader the way someone who relies on it um, does. So I acknowledge that, but when I interact with accessibility, I get it so many assertive um, warnings and live regions that actually interfere with, with the experience of navigating the content. So um, yes, in some cases, some form of overlays can be beneficial and useful, but not as a long-term magic solution to fix your long-term accessibility problems. I think, Nick, I do. I think some of our, there are some companies that do have this as um, a stopgap measure, um, a temporary fix, but it is while it is always accompanied by human intervention and human mm. remediation. Um, and those those instances could, could be useful as a short-term solution, but there are very few companies that are doing that with human support, um, identifying the issues and then either providing the solution to the site owner or making the changes for them. That's not what the snake oil sales people are doing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like if you, if you want a real-world equivalent, it sounds like, you know, accessibility, it's like the equivalent of, say, putting a, needing a wheelchair ramp and so and just putting, like, a, a really rickety piece of plywood down over the stairs 
and being like, okay, what's this wheelchair ramp? And, uh, and never actually building an actual ramp um, and investing the money in, in a permanent solution. Yeah, Rob, your, your analogy is pretty good, but I would, I would modify it slightly. Um, as a wheelchair user, I, I have experienced this. Um, I think the, the overlay snake oil equivalent in the real world would be to put that rickety piece of plywood, you know, quarter inch plywood with a couple of bricks under it on the back entrance right next to the dumpster and forcing you to go through the kitchen. That that's what we're really looking at. Right, right. And if you're a power chair user also telling you that you need to leave your chair outside mm. and there's a manual chair over here that's not fitted to you and may not, you know, but yes, you can take a you can use a wheelchair to enter on the rickety ramp. Just not yours not the way you're used to and not the way that's most effective for you. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it really sounds like, and, and I'll, I'll admit coming into this conversation, like I was unsure of how to feel about um, accessibility overlays in general, um, because it seemed to me, because I played around a little bit with accessibility and my initial, my initial response to it, and again, I'm a sighted user and I didn't really run it through many paces, but my initial was my initial reaction was kind of like, well, this is kind of cool because you can do all the things like you can change the contrasting colors, you can, um, I believe you can make the the text bigger, right? You can, you know, there, there was there was all these little sort of minor visual changes that you seem to be able to make for people, um, you know, with with ADHD and and all those things seem to work okay. It was pretty obvious that the the screen reading portion of that was broken. Um, and that that maybe have was it was an issue, um, but I thought well maybe this could work for for things like being able to to make colors contrasting for people with low vision and whatnot. But it sounds like the problem is sort of fundamentally deeper in the sense that it's it's diverting attention away from actual making sites and making applications actually accessible from the ground up, which is what really we should be fighting for. And these are just like quick fixes that, that they're convincing a lot of these big companies are permanent fixes. Is, is that kind of the, this, am I kind of getting that right? You're spot on. Uh, the thing is, there is nothing that the overlays do that cannot be done through proper markup, through proper uh, site design through proper content creation. All these things can be handled well, properly from, you know, from a perspective of we fix it once and we forget about it, uh, as opposed to, well, we don't actually know if this is going to work for our users. And we do know that for some of our users, it's not going to work. Uh, as you said, it you know, from a sighted, non-disabled user perspective, it's very appealing because you can do all these things. You can change font size, you can change contrast, you can play with getting things read out to you. You can do all these things, but... I can again, do all of that in my operating system and my browser. Well, that's it. That's it. Because <laughs> when users that rely on whether it's in large font or uh, colors, uh, contrast and all that, people who need these uh, functionality need it all the time. Uh, so they have the tools at hand that 
means that the, the toys that are implemented are not particularly useful. And, and then there's concerns about what they can't do because it is AI and it's not that intelligent yet. The images, anything that's presented as a visual is not valid. The, art, the alt text or text equivalent for images cannot be created by the AI. They cannot make a video accessible with captions. They cannot make documents accessible. They, most of them, I, I'm thinking of four of the big ones, choose not to address data, infographics, or tables. Yeah. What 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 interactive functionality for actual resources that people use to live their life is is covered in any of that? Mm. And, and I think that's a good point because uh, we're looking at a lot of um, unfortunately a lot of government sites and a lot of education sites are relying on this, and these sites tend to provide services and information through PDF downloads, through. Um, video only content, which by their very nature cannot be remediated by AI. So, you know, yeah, we're fixing the way we can't are fixing the way we can get to this PDF download. But once we have the download, we can't actually use the, the document. Well, and as a screen reader user myself, you know, like you just said, it won't recognize tables. So now my table formatting, being able to read through cells, columns, rows, is thrown out the window. So there's mm. my efficient reading of that chart, that table, that graph. Um, you know, my navigation by headings, heading level twos, threes, fours, whatever, that's thrown out the window as well. So much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the great examples, if we're talking about accessibility, they have an example that they use on their own site and <laughs> their own promotional of a woman who's shopping at a sh uh, sifting through that's, hanging that's clothes right. yeah. <laughs> and the alt text that they've created and they promo, this is their bragging rights says that a woman is folding laundry. Yeah. <laughs> and she's actually in a high end retail store. She's at, yeah, it's sale 30% yeah. off, you know? <laughs> so it's very clear that they have absolutely no interest in equity for disabled people and accessibility if you actually look at what they do and don't do in the mice type in their contract terms. But their advertorials, because they're so common and they're everywhere, they get a lot of visibility and people call that research. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious when you look at it, and especially when you dig in a little deeper, that, you know, these guys are, are not interested in in you know making the digital space more accessible they're really cashing in on mm. things like all these lawsuits and and the fear that a lot of companies are having right now of getting sued for having you know a lack of accessibility in in any given app or site what's interesting to me is that with a lot of the content management systems, even the ones that are on platforms that were notoriously inaccessible before, um, many self-hosted or you know or CMS products where you don't have to have technical skills to build your site, many of them are developing uh, platforms and themes and plugins and libraries that are accessible. So small businesses do have access. Mm. 
to a reasonable amount of information and, and choices to make small business platforms more accessible um, and with a little bit of knowledge can do a great deal on their own. Um, but last week, Accessibility put out a comic that was their cartoon that was a small business owner. It was in three frames. And the first frame had a small business owner very pleased with themselves. My website's finally ready. The second frame were two lawyers, one of them holding an accessibility lawsuit and one of them holding an, an ADA lawsuit um, and, and screaming at the, at the small business owner and then walking away with money bags. And the business owner said, why bother? Now I'm broke. Well, that's kind of what I'm looking at or thinking about. You know, the, the end user files a lawsuit against the organization who has implemented Accessibility. They go back to Accessibility saying, look, you said we'd be accessible. And Accessibility says, oh, if you read the fine print, it says, no, we won't. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's just, uh, what do you do? Like, so frustrating for a business owner who doesn't do their homework. Yeah, it, it is. And even if they, they actually try to do the homework, there's so much um, FUD out there. You know? it, it's just really hard to, to find the right information, unfortunately, because when a company like Accessibility is raised, I think in total nearly 40 million US dollars worth of venture capital, it's hard to compete with that as either disabled people or independent accessibility experts. I mean, I'll never have the kind of budget to, to do any kind of education level the way, the way they do marketing. Um, so we can't compete. And as a, re as a result, uh, the independent business owners are going to suffer. Where I have a lot less sympathy is when large corporations uh, that have the money to actually hire experts and get proper advice, when they fall for the for the you know snake oil, then that's a, that's more problematic. There's one brand in particular that has been marketing themselves as inclusion and LGBTQIA friendly and um, all about their inclusive nature. And they've chosen Accessibility as an overlay for their for one of their brands on their website, but they have a full accessibility team and they have the resources at the very large international snack food company. And uh, Nabisco and Oreo and Mondelez have chosen Accessibility instead of actually doing the work with the team they have and their resources as an international mega corporation to make their Oreo brand website accessible. This is one of the things that makes me absolutely crazy about web accessibility and the way that companies deal with web accessibility. Uh, you know, the bigger the company is, it almost seems like the more they're willing to throw at lawyers instead of accessibility. Uh, and, you know, the, the example that, that leaps out at me and I, I always come back to is Domino's um, and, and their absolute flat out refusal to make their website accessible for, for people. They, they took it to court rather than, than be accessible and, and, and lost. I mean, Clint Eastwood owned a hotel in California and uh, instead of renovating his bathroom as a result of a lawsuit and spending maybe $5,000 fixing his bathroom in his hotel, he spent half a million dollars fighting this wow. in court and then lobbying government to change the ADA. It's <laughs> not a new pattern. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, Domino's had a solution set for $35,000 to resolve their entire 
accessibility need and instead have they're in at least $425,000 at the moment plus plus yeah it just it stuns you uh, just how bad of a business decision mm-hmm. a lot of these companies will make <laughs> now i've had some success with i was working with a canadian media group that was writing a guide i always worry when i see people write the complete guide to accessibility um, <laughs> <laughs> um, especially when they don't work in accessibility or disability rights but uh i happened to know their ceo and i was reviewing their book and they said oh we're going to feature this website and it has this amazing solution and it was accessibility and <laughs> The concept that this organization that uh, had a film that went to to, to the to the, to the most recent uh, movie awards uh, was that a disability organization was using accessibility on their website was horrifying. Mm. Uh, it took myself and one other colleague about an hour and a half to get to um, to get to the two lead organizers of this company. And we finally figured it out that their staff didn't know, their staff had been told by their media agency that works for social justice and disability rights organizations who fell for the advertorials. So I got the two 23 and 25 year old uh, marketing agency teams. I said, look, you have a web, you have a WordPress website. In two hours, I promise you, we can edit about four lines of CSS choose a new theme and change one plugin and everything will be fine. You'll be accessible. Will you get rid of them? It took us two hours and 30 minutes. Um, but they were like, we had no idea. They told us it was going to cost us 50, $60,000 to make this happen. And I said, did we spend any money just now? Even if you paid somebody $500 an hour for this work, would you be out any amount of money that was, that was even, you know, consider a consideration. And they said, no. And I was like, how many other of your clients are you doing this with? Mm-hmm. So one agency, but that's just me, one person. So, but we can, but it's, we can't keep up. Well, and that's, that's the thing we can't keep up. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, Nick, because this has hit us actually quite close to home recently. The city of Chilliwack has implemented accessibility onto their website. Yep. So, uh, most of the cities in the lower mainland, I believe, and Steve or Rob, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, have advisory committees with people with disabilities on these committees. Ha- has anybody followed up with the city to find out how this happened? I have uh, sent three emails and every one of these emails have been unanswered. Um, given COVID pandemic, I'm not really willing to sure. travel and go face to face, which is what I would normally do. But um, at the moment, it's, uh, it's really either being ignored, or they don't know what to do with the with the questions, or it's being juggled like a potato. I'm not too sure. Okay. But somebody at, at um, the city is unwilling to, to come back and, and open the discussion. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I think in my experience, these committee of, of disability advisors suffer from, from a couple of things. The first thing is that uh, they're often not consulted on what is considered you know, daily, day-to-day operational things, as opposed to looking at policy things. Right. And implementation of an overlay would not be considered a, a policy thing. The other thing is that very often, and I've been saying that for a long time, but very often disabled people need disability awareness training. 
<laughs> so, you know, if, if someone is a wheelchair user, they know the need of themselves as a wheelchair user. They don't understand the needs of all wheelchair user. If someone is blind, chances are they don't understand the need of people that have uh, mobility impairments, but that are ambulatory. And, right. and then all the people that have physical disabilities, we tend to either be unaware of or completely ignore the needs of people with cognitive or neurological impairments. So between between the advisory committee that may suffer from, from a, a certain level of ignorance of other disability groups and the fact that the city will only consult us on policy issues rather than operational issues, uh, we are facing a, an uphill battle. Until they get slammed with a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, and I see, see places like, you know, cities and, you know, different organizations that fall for this. That's where the real danger is. I mean, it's one thing for, you know, if Oreo wants to implement accessibility on their website and somebody can't really find out what the newest flavor of their double stuff uh, cookies are, uh, not a huge deal, but you know, for for somebody who who depends on using, say, uh, the city's website to pay their electricity bill or, or whatever, or, or that they need you know specific resources, and now they can't um, access those resources uh, because of accessibility, that's a that's a real big problem. Yeah, when civic engagement is interrupted yeah. for lack of accessibility, people's lives and livelihoods and rights are at risk especially in the context we're facing now of pandemic where more and more stuff is done on the web and um, you know, you have to rely on, uh, on the information on the web rather than traveling to, to different places, then it absolutely becomes critical to, to make sure these resources are available uh, in an inaccessible way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Nick. And, and that's what, um, you know, we've been kind of screaming that from the rooftops, you know, from the first few months of, of COVID that now more than ever, digital accessibility is so vital um, because of this shift um, online for a lot of, for a lot of services. I'll give you another one that, that makes things even more fun. Uh, I don't know if you've been following what what is happening with the uh, long-term effect of COVID, what some people call long, long COVID or long haulers, but it looks like, uh, and I may be misquoting, but it's a number, something like 80% uh, of people who had COVID uh, have cognitive issues afterwards. So we're talking brain fog, we're talking trouble concentrating, we're thinking um, uh, ability to process the written word. Uh, so we're, we're starting to look at a large segment of the population that will be left with cognitive issues. And what do we do from a digital perspective to make sure that access to all the information they need to access services from, it might be from unemployment insurance, it might be benefits, it might be access to healthcare, it might be any number of things. What are we doing to make sure that the information is is easily accessible and understandable and perceivable for for this large segment of the population who may not even realize they have a disability, but it truly is becoming one? Well, sure, and uh, you know, I think that that we still don't know what 
you know, the post-COVID world is going to look like. But I suspect that, you know, a lot of these online services are going to remain the case. I think a lot of places will go back to maybe sort of a hybrid. Um, but, you know, I don't think that the digital landscape and the importance of digital accessibility is going to change anytime soon. You know, this is where I really do see the danger of accessibility because really it's built into their business model to sort of spread I guess I don't want to be too, too dramatic about it, but I mean, to really to spread misinformation. I mean, it's, it's in their business model and their elevator pitch to a company to go in and say, look, if you're in a real, your, your site's in a real danger of, of being sued. And, you know, and, and if you were to try to make your site accessible, oh, it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. So just go with us. I, I see that that's the real danger of this. Something like an accessible overlay system, that's going to be seen as sort of a, a more of a, a viable option as opposed to, to doing it the proper way that's actually going to work. Mm -hmm. It's a really dangerous disinformation campaign, and it really undermines civil and human rights at its core. So let's talk a little bit about what's been going on then in, in different communities. How are people pushing back against accessibility? And for hey, for any of our listeners who want to join the fight against it, what, what can they do? First, there's what can they do for themselves? Because if they, uh, if the listener has an accessibility need, they can actually uh, install a, a bookmarklet that will turn off and disable those overlays. So that's the first thing you can do for yourself is when you come across a site that uses accessibility audio eye or any of the, the big overlays, you can, you can download that, install that on your browser, and then you won't have the conflicts which you're on assistive technologies. The other thing is be the squeaky wheel. Just, you know, you come across a site where you do business or you need information, uh, contact them. Say, hey, I notice you have this, this overlay that you're trying to do uh, improve accessibility, but maybe you've been misinformed and it's actually making things worse for us. And so I've personally sent out three emails to the city of Chilliwack, but Perhaps if there were a dozen people sending three emails, then that would start to make more sense to, to the city to actually stop and look into things. So we, we have to be careful as disabled folks that we don't burn ourselves out because it, it's quite a burden to always do uh, advocacy. But uh, at the same time, if we don't, then we're going to end up in, in the deep, deep, smelly stuff. So um, <laughs> talk to people that use these, these platforms if you do business with them. I'm, I'm not suggesting that you go and, and do a, a search uh, on all businesses that use uh, overlays and then and contact them. But if, if you come across one that you're doing business with, send a quick email. Prepare a template, you know, copy, paste, and, and just send the same email over and over again uh, to, to different groups, and, and it'll eventually get, um, get to a point where maybe someone's going to pay attention. There's a disability rights attorney that has put together some some nice uh, quick responses to share on social about, hey, um, I noticed that you're, you know, hey, company X, noticed that you are using an overlay. Um, 
have you heard that these actually damage the rights of disabled people and aren't actually helping accessibility? And then referring to some mainstream media news coverage um, and details and education uh, resources that are online. And occasionally that gets someone's attention enough to read and, and engage in a, in a polite educational format. And this is definitely a conversation I'd like to see keep going. You know, I heard you, Sam, on Jonathan Mosen's podcast talking about this. You know, we've we've spoken to Mike Calvo and or, yeah, Mike Calvo and Matt Campbell about Accessibye, their extension for Chrome mm. to turn it off. So there's definitely people in the community that are interested in making this go away. Is there is there much chatter on the U.S. side still going on about this? depends on what community you're in. Um, In the accessibility professional and practitioner community, yes. Um, Beyond that, in the digital, in the the disability rights community, as it relates to access to digital media websites and applications, some. I I don't see a mainstream swell for it at the moment, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know that our uh, colleagues at NFB are considering uh, what to talk about, and they uh, have addressed uh, more talking about the disinformation campaigns and the deceptive marketing and the um, the the use of fear of disabled people as the premise of the marketing concepts as a concern. Yeah, I haven't heard our you know Canadian National Institute of the Blind talking about it either, and, and even some of the technology groups that we belong to as part of the you know blind low vision community anyway. Not many people are talking about it here that I'm aware of. So it's interesting to just keep an eye on it and see what's happening. We're seeing too in the international community, uh, I, I think as their last running list, I saw that uh, our friends in Germany, France, and the UK are starting to see these pop up in Europe as well. Mm. So, um, and the one in France is actually quite aggressive in sending nasty grams on social media to people who speak against it. And um, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a real danger to, to the progress that's been made in, in, in the last few decades towards digital accessibility. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would think that, you know, eventually the party's going to be over because when enough lawsuits start to happen against businesses and they, they start to realize that having an accessibility overlay or an overlay like accessibility does not actually protect them. Um, you know, you would think that, you know, accessibility will just go away just through lack of business. But part of the problem with just playing that waiting game is that that's just slowing down the actual accessibility. Yes. Uh, real danger. It's the last thing we actually needed. We were just starting to sort of get the ball rolling. And now we've, we've got these guys coming in and, and slowing the process down and spreading enough disinformation that who knows if we're going to actually recover from that. So, um, yeah, I think that it, it definitely is within, uh, you know, the best interests of the community that, that, uh, that we push back against these guys and, and at least try to mitigate some of the, the disinformation that they are spreading through their, their own marketing. These, these overlays need to die and <laughs> die quickly, but die horribly uh, for all the harm they've done and they keep on doing. But it's not going to happen. Uh, it's not going to happen quickly. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. 
but it it will when it spirals when when these corporations that their procurement is weak and the lawyers did not review the contract and somebody in a web team uh installed it onto their website um and it gets out there and they are sued and it does proceed and they go to the overlay company and say, protect us. Mm-hmm. We give you $49 a month. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you read the last line of that 12-page contract, we don't actually do that. <laughs> that is when it will it that it will take several of those big ones, bigger than Domino's Robles. It'll take several yeah. of those. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, that said, there are some wins sometimes. Um, not that long ago, the... California State University in Northridge, uh, CSUN, which has the oldest and one of the most well-known accessibility and assistive technology conference in in North America, um, had the misfortune of installing accessibility on their website as the accessibility solution, which was really, really ironic. But it didn't take too long for, for the community to a, start laughing at them yeah. and be saying, what were you thinking? Uh, and they took maybe a couple of weeks to go through the hoops and actually remove it. Uh, they realized they'd made a big mistake. So, uh, you know, we have small wins and we should celebrate those because otherwise it's just too disheartening. Well, listen, guys, um, we want to thank you so much for, for coming on and, um, and talking about this because, again, this is a really important issue. Um, you know, it's kind of the, the dark side of digital accessibility out there right now. But again, it's really important because I think that people out there have to really start realizing what's going on and really start to advocate. And I, I think if, if your listeners have any concerns or they're not sure, the accessibility community is is really open and, and happy to share knowledge, um, not necessarily work for free, but all of us who work in advocacy and awareness and education are happy to clarify and ask questions. And we happen to know a few thousand people who do this work. So <laughs> if there's a need for professional, highly skilled or technical intervention, there are people that can help. And unless you're at an enterprise level, I don't think it starts at, at the tens of thousands of dollars. I just... And, and I just don't, I don't think it does for a small business. You know, if you're a small business and you have, you know, you have a blog and you have some images and you might have a shopping cart, you know, your resolution on, on, on any errors you find are probably going to be changing a plugin or a theme and maybe some slight CSS code change, uh, adding alt text, making your color changes, things that, that even a non-technical can do for best practices can, can go a long way to making things more inclusive. And if you're, if your goal is the human experience, whether that's for a shopper or your audience, then why not dig in just a little bit and learn how to make it a little better? Uh, as, assuming people listening to this podcast are into podcasts, I would love to plug <laughs> my own, which is the Accessibility Rules podcast. Uh, it's found on uh, the web at a11yrules.com. I have a uh, long-form interview question uh, shows, and I also have a series of short um, in their own words, kind of uh, shows where disabled people talk about the barrier they experience on the web. So why haven't we had you on the show to talk about that yet? I, <laughs> don't ask me. Why haven't you? <laughs> All right, well, I'll be in touch. <laughs> Fantastic. And do you do you do you guys know about the overlay fact sheet? 
It's overlayfactsheet.com, and it gives some descriptions of overlays, the strengths and weaknesses of them, um, the strengths and weaknesses of automated repair, uh, how to be compliant and usable. And then there's a whole lot of in their own words from disabled people and what they've encountered. And there's a list of more than 400 accessibility professionals and practitioners and disability rights people who've signed this in support um, to help build awareness of what the dangers are of these overlays. Well, we will be sure to include that in our show notes as well. For sure. uh, all right, guys. Well, listen, thanks so much again for uh, for coming on. It sounds like we're, we'll probably be talking to you again soon. Fantastic. <laughs> thanks for having us, folks. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks so much. Y'all take care. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Nick. Excuse as well. Well, so that was that was pretty enlightening. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot. Well, it certainly explains why people are upset about these uh, overlays. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It's it is unfortunate because I feel like had overlays been used for good instead of evil, um, I think that it could have been a this could have been something that has maybe really helped push the ball forward in terms of of digital web accessibility because it has been such a hard sell. Um, you know, we've been we've been fighting to make websites accessible since the early 2000s and we just don't seem to be making all that many strides in terms of that. So yeah, it would have been nice. So I'm a little disappointed. I'm, I'm bummed out. Well, consider this too. You know, there's such a uproar about the, these plugins. Any company that's actually installing those plugins right now, uh, they're going to hear about it and they're going to get pushed to improve their accessibility. So by using these overlays, essentially they're putting a target on their backs and they're, they're going to raise the ire of the community and the community is going to force them into better web accessibility. So at the end of the day, problem solved, better web accessibility. Hopefully. Here's yeah. the, wow, Steve is playing the part of the optimist for the show today is Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that guy. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Rob, where can people find us? They can find us at apbanter.com. They can also email us if they uh, want to. Uh, cowbell at atbanter.com. And we are just so socially active out there on the interwebs, on things like um, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So you can connect with us there. Give us five-star ratings. Tell us how awesome we are. Please, please tell us how awesome we are. We're so bored. We've got no fan mail. Hashtag who is Shan. <laughs> Hashtag who is Shan. That's right. Get that going, people. <laughs> Get it going because maybe we'll reveal who exactly Shan is. <laughs> or you can just dig back into the archives and listen to every episode and piece it together. <laughs> That's right. There's only 240 of them. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. As, as the only person on earth who's ever listened to all 241 episodes of the show. Yeah, I've been present for, I think, all of, almost all of them anyway. That's, yeah, I guess so. That's true. Did you, when you took that break, did you, were you listening? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Man. All right. Well, hey, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. 
Big thanks to Nick and Sam for joining us and talking about web overlays. And uh, we will see everybody next week. XSE bye-bye. Enter. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.